everybody. Good morning. Uh, turn in your Bibles, please, to Matthew 11, verse 25. We're going to be in verses 25 through 30. Matthew 11, 25 through 30, part of the passage that we heard this morning on the audio recording. If you haven't already received one in the back corner, are copies of this book, Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland, And the sermon series for the next 10 weeks will be uh, associated with readings from this book. So if you'll, this week you want to read the first two chapters, they are three or four pages long, devotional type readings, so you'll, you'll enjoy it thoroughly. And, uh, it will help inform your conversations when you come to community group tonight or this afternoon or Thursday. And it will also uh, prep you uh, for, um, for the text that we'll look at here in the sermon. So Matthew 11, 25 through 30 is where we're going to be. So this Wednesday, uh, Trey and Jonathan got in the car after 5 o'clock or so and went to Sam's Wholesale Club. Uh, Trey's uh, senior class president, and he has some responsibilities for getting food sometimes, and they give him the Sam's card from the school, and so he'll go, he'll occasionally do errands. So this past Wednesday, they did that. They went on their way to church. So they went to Sam's, got their stuff, started rolling out, and, he, and he, Trey put the receipt in his wallet, put his wallet in his pocket, and then, then you get to the checkout, and he's like, oh, you know, the lady wants to scan the receipt and do all the things. So he pulls the receipt out and his wallet out. She scans the receipt. Trey shoves the receipt back into the, the wallet and keeps pushing the cart with this wallet in his hand. He keeps pushing the cart. He goes out to the car, loads the car, puts the cart up, gets in the car, drives off, has church. And he's, you know, church is over. He's getting back in the car to come over, and he's making sure he's got everything, and he doesn't have his wallet. I have permission to tell this story. You know, so all the things that go through your head when you lose your wallet. For some comfort, has everybody in here lost their wallet at one point or another? Okay, see, there we go. All right, confirmation. All right. I've done it like seven times. Like, it's not even fun. And I, but that didn't really seem to help in the moment. You know, like, identity with didn't really, didn't really help all that much. Um, so it was, you know, whereas empty the church, empty the car, it's just it's nowhere to find. I'll meet you at the Sam's parking lot on your way home. Just come home. John has homework. You have homework. Blah, blah, blah. Come home. Meet him in the Sam's parking lot. We're walking through the Sam's parking lot. It's not in the Sam's parking lot. Well, we rehearse everything. And by the best wisdom we have is that somebody at Sam's picked it up out of the parking lot. And then you just go right down the middle about what does it mean to be a human being, right? Does, is it possible that this person that found this wallet took the $50 cash that was in it and a copy of my credit card and Trey's debit card and this, that, and the other and tried to make off like a bandit. Now, they would do that. They'd be stupid, right, because Trey can lock his debit card, which he did using his phone app. Every transaction that happens on that credit card, my phone goes off every time, which is far too often, but it goes off every time. So I know it's going to, know, you know, I know somebody's going to do something. Or is the other type of person, the some person who found this and thought, man, Somebody's really missing this, and they walked into Sam's and, and turned it in. So the boys go to school the next morning, and Holly's drops the kids off at their school thing, and she goes back to Sam's, and wouldn't you know it, some wonderful human being found Trey's wallet in the parking lot and turned it in, and all was, all was well. It was just this wonderful little moment where it was like, praise the Lord. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, I know that's like a small 
comparatively speaking to like, you know, refugees and pandemics and fires and earthquakes. I, I understand that. But it was just in like in our life, in that moment, it was just, it just, it created a, a spontaneous moment of worship. It was small, but it was meaningful. It, it, and it was significant to me in that moment that the Lord took care of us in just in a way that it added a lot of convenience back into our life, right? It was really small and spontaneous, but it was still meaningful. The text that we're going to read today is very similar to that. It's Jesus in the midst of reflecting on and condemning the unbelief of religious leaders and all the different towns that he was doing ministry in, which is the bulk of chapter 11. In the midst of that, in reflecting on that, Jesus has this spontaneous yet very meaningful moment of worship because that situation revealed something about the heart of God the Father and about the heart of Jesus himself. And it's something that you and I need to know and it's something that we need to never forget. So will you stand with me, please, and let's read this text together, Matthew eleven twenty-five through 30. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, because this was your good pleasure. All things have been entrusted to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal Him. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me. Because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So I want to show you three things from today's text. From Jesus' spontaneous moment of praise, which led to a moment of instruction, which led to a moment of invitation. And the first thing that I want you to see is this. Knowing God is a matter of elementary trust, not high achievement. Knowing God is a matter of elementary trust, not high achievement. And I get this straight out of verses 25 and 26. Look at it. Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise, the intelligent, and you've revealed them to infants because it was your good pleasures. What, is, what does this mean? Well, let me, let me illustrate. What's your, did anybody watch the Olympics this, this summer? Did y'all watch any of the Olympics at all? I did not, just being honest. I didn't really watch any. What is your favorite Olympic sport? Wrestling, water polo. I thought you were going to say synchronized swimming, but you didn't. You didn't. What was yours? Running, like fast running or marathon running? The marathon of the long side. Okay. Anybody else have a really favorite sport? What's yours? The gymnastics. Yes. Very impressive. 
Jumping jacks? Man, if that was an Olympic sport, I would crush. I, I might could be an Olympic athlete when it comes to, to jumping jacks, right? So I didn't really, I didn't watch a lot of the Olympics, but I did read the news every morning, which always included the, the things that are associated with the Olympics. Truly, if you think about this, truly miraculous feats take place at every one of the Olympics. But more miraculous to me are the things that people have to achieve in order to be an Olympic athlete at all, right? Beyond simply being willing to train for hours on end, the sheer amount of discipline that's required in every area of your life, from your diet to your finances to your time to your relationships, for years... It is a wonder that anybody makes it into the Olympics at all. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. What if you had to relate to God the way you would relate to the Olympics? What if only the highest achievers, the best of the best, could have access to the Father? What if knowing God was a matter of high achievement based on your intellect, based on your wisdom, based on your effort. If the gospel was, the, was that the best and the most quickly... Let me rephrase this. If, if the gospel was best and most quickly understood by intelligent people, then this room right now would only have intelligent people who were then far more impressed with their own intelligence than they were God. If the gospel was more easily grasped by people who met a certain physical requirement like beauty or strength, then this room would only be full of knockouts and hunks who were far more impressed with their physique than the Lord they sought to be with as a result of their physique. So thankfully, none of that is true. Knowing God, says Jesus, is a matter of infantile trust, not high achievement. The Lord, he said, he gives great, he gives he gives thanks to the Father. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent, and you've revealed them to infants. And this was your good pleasure. In other words, it wasn't an accident. God ordained the truth of the gospel this way. The Father has ordained things in such a way that the ways of the kingdom of God are not understood, are not grasped, are not enjoyed according to our ability to understand them, to the, the strength and wisdom and intellect of this world. God, knowing God, is a matter of elementary trust, not high achievement. That's an intentional design. It's an intentional design. Us dummies who believe the gospel didn't stumble on it by chance or win the spiritual lottery. God designed it this way. I want you to be careful. 
don't, we don't want to conclude that none of the world's wise people and none of the world's intelligent people come to Christ. In this room right now, there are some very smart, intelligent, clever, strong, beautiful people, many or most of all of whom know Jesus. That's not what Jesus is saying here. He's saying that if you believe Jesus, you didn't come to know it by your wisdom. You didn't come to know it by your intelligence. You didn't come to know it by your physique. You didn't come to know it by your effort. You came to know it because God revealed it to you by His grace. It's not based on any of the things that you might bring to the table. It's based on His doing. Do you get that? Knowing God is a matter of elementary trust, infantile trust, basic trust. It is not a means of high achievement. That is such good news. Otherwise, we'd be in here worshiping ourselves based on how awesome we think we are. But how does that trust happen? The answer is in verse 27. Look. All things, says Jesus, have been entrusted to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal Him. Now, pay close attention. In this verse, Jesus is now turning from a moment of praise and worship to a matter of instruction to His disciples. And He looks at them straight in the eyes the way we envision this, right? And He tells them in very clear terms in the latter half of this verse, Jesus, I am the only one, he says, I am the only one who has real knowledge of the Father and that he is the only one who can reveal the Father to others. That's what he means when he says, no one knows the Father except the Son. I'm the only one who has real, complete, and full knowledge of the Son, of the Father. And, um, and so when he says that, what Jesus is saying is, that the elementary faith of knowing the Father happens exclusively through a relationship with the Son. You want to know the Father? Awesome. It's a matter of elementary trust. How? Through a relationship with the Son because the Son is the only one who truly knows the Father. So, if I, was going to, if I was going to say it really succinctly, I would say that elementary trust happens through an exclusive relationship. It's open to anybody, but its means is very exclusive. Let me show you what I mean. So, 20 years ago, Holly and I lived in Dallas, Texas. And we, um, you know, Holly had actually saved money uh, in her high school and college years. I, however, was in a lot of student debt. So, I married a responsible woman. And we took some of those savings that we had when we got married and we bought a condominium in Dallas, Texas, where we lived for our first year. Now, we didn't have internet access at home then. Nobody did. Uh, and 20 years ago, isn't that crazy? And, um, so my, and so Holly had a full-time job at a hotel downtown. I had, a, I had two part-time jobs eventually while I went to school. But at first, it was move into this condo, and like I was going to renovate it, which is hilarious. I know I'm, it's hilarious. But I didn't have, we didn't have television because we couldn't afford it. And we didn't have internet because there was no internet. So the radio was my friend. The radio was my entertainment. And I, even then, and this is still true today, I cannot really enjoy Christian radio. Not, I love the music, but all the, 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 the just drives me crazy. 
So I would listen to national public radio, and they would have news program after news. At least my mind was engaged, right? There weren't audiobooks; weren't really a thing. It was hard. Like, see, had to buy CDs. It was, you know. So this is my entertainment. So on a program one morning, the host was conversing with a group of religious leaders from three different faith backgrounds. She had a a, um, a Muslim and a, and a and a Jewish rabbi and a Catholic Christian father, a priest. And so they had formed an, or some sort of relationship and an, and an organization or a movement, and they, you know, some sort of God squad, if you will. And what I recall from that, I never forgot this, uh, what I recall in that, that their, their purpose for doing this was to say that for all the differences that they have in their faiths, together... The religious of the world can come together to be a force for good in the world regardless of these religious differences. And that's, that's true. You, we can. We can do that. right? But what was really clear in that conversation, so clear that I stopped what I was doing and tried to call into the program, is that over the course of time, the desire for unity in doing good had become their religion. It wasn't that that they had religious differences that they were setting aside for the sake of the common good. It was the sake of the common good is now our religion. So much so that the things that made them different to begin with were just forgotten. So because I was 26 and foolish, I called them. I called the radio. I called National Public Radio. And I got through to the call screener because nobody was listening to this radio program. (laughs) And she asked me, what would you like to ask of these men? And I said, I want to know what these men think about how I can be right with God. All these things that they're doing for the world are great, but I want to know what they think about how I can be right with God because that's all that really matters. I did not get through to the program to answer that question. That should not surprise you. See, for far too many people, it's not enough for faith to be simply a matter of elementary trust. Just, 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 you don't, you can't earn it. You can't earn it. It's not about high achievement. It's about elementary trust. That's good news for some. And they're like, awesome. How does that happen? What well, happens exclusively through the person of Jesus? I don't think so. That's their reaction. For them, it has to be a matter of elementary trust in God as we like to believe that God is like, not who he has revealed himself to be in the life and death of Jesus Christ. The assumption such people make is that if God is not exclusive in who he saves, then he must not be exclusive in how he saves. But he is. It says it right here. By virtue of the fact that knowing God is a matter of elementary trust, not high achievement, it is possible for anyone to know God. But in the same way that it delights God to make knowing Him a matter of elementary trust, it delights Him to make it exclusively through His Son, Jesus. It's in Jesus that you can come to know the Father. So knowing God is a matter of elementary trust, not achievement. But that elementary trust is through an exclusive means, the Son. So if you're that person who's like, well, it can't just be Jesus. I mean, what about all these other options out there? If you think 
that by making it exclusively through Jesus that God is being restrictive or God is being harsh or overly exclusive, then verses 28 through 29 are for you. Look at what Jesus says after announcing the exclusivity of the path of Jesus. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Take up my yoke. Learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, Jesus, in full knowledge that He is the one through whom the Father can be known, looks with compassion toward us who are weary and burdened in trying to know God through high achievement, and He graciously invites us to know the Father through Him. It's an exclusive path, and it is a path that anybody can come down. And the heart, the posture, the position, the mindset, the disposition of Jesus toward every single human on this earth is, come on. Come on. And if we will come, we will be given rest. Rest from the burden of trying to earn God's favor through keeping the law. That's the context here. Rest from the burden of trying to earn the approval of a father through our, some sort of obedience. We will exchange the yoke of trying to earn God's acceptance by keeping the law for the yoke of having God's acceptance because Jesus kept the law. Do you have... Um, let me, I want to really double-click on this, Okay. Do you have some clue as to how exhausting it can be to try and earn somebody's recognition, earn their approval through your performance or your behavior? You have anybody in your life like that? It's exhausting. Like, they're just never going to be satisfied. I have a performance review at work coming up this month. It's my ninth year at my employer. And as it so happens, the boss that I have is a brand new boss as of August 1st. I've known him, of him, worked with him from time to time. Now he's my direct report, but it's new. New for like 60, 70, 60 days now. So there's absolutely nothing for him to review in my performance. So it won't be a burdensome or difficult meeting because there's literally nothing for him to review. But for most of my nine years, I had the same boss. And we just kind of kept, as he moved, he'd move me up behind him, you know. And never in those eight performance reviews, never was it burdensome or worrisome or heavy. I looked forward to my performance reviews because he was not exacting, he was not legalistic, he was not perfectionistic and said he was edifying and he was encouraging and he was understanding. Now, he expected me to work. But he, he because, of his, because of his heart, I was able to work from a place of having acceptance with him, which was restful and invigorating, instead of working from a place of having to earn his acceptance, which is so stressful. Right? Something, this is something of the gospel here. In Jesus, we get rest from a life 
of high achievement in pursuit of acceptance. And instead, we get a life of joyful, life-giving obedience because we have acceptance through Jesus' achievement on our behalf. That's why we get rest. It's not that we don't obey. It's not that we don't work. It's not that we don't have responsibilities and don't vote. We do. We do it out of sense of joy because Jesus did it perfectly on our behalf. That's the heart of Jesus toward you, gang. So he says, come on. Come, come on. Doesn't, aren't you tired of trying to earn God's approval? I'm handling that, y'all. Come on. Why does he do this? Why does he offer a gracious invitation to weary people? The answer is smack dab in the verse of 29. Because I am lowly and humble of heart. The general bent of leaders and teachers in this world is for them to make sure Everybody around them understands just how superior and important they are. At the core of their being, these leaders are self-important, and they live to make sure you know just how outstanding and wise and smart and intelligent they are. And if you want to come unto those people, you're going to get burdened. You're going to worry. It's going to be taxing. It's going to be exhausting. You contrast that with Jesus. At the core of his being, he is lowly. At the core of his being, he is humble. At the core of his being, he is meek. At the core of his being, he is God, who did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited, but he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And for this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. So that, at that name, every knee will bow. Every knee will come and have rest to the glory of God the Father. And it's because Jesus is at His very core that, that when you come to Him, you will find rest. It's restful to come to Jesus because that's because of the nature of who He is. When um, Trey and Jonathan were three and two years old, we visited some family at a beach north of Charleston, South Carolina. And one, one dusk, we were coming back from the, you know, like the water, walk, watching the tide or whatever, and we stumbled on some sand crabs, right? That, and these were braver than most. Like, usually, like, you get within 100 yards of a stone crab. You're, they're gone, right? But not, not so these, these two. They were more interested in us, you know, than anything else. And Trey, who, the very cautious firstborn, you know, Been over very carefully, slowly, um, you know, curious and kind of wanting to know what it would feel like to touch a crab, but at the same time, very concerned about the possible pain that might be involved. Jonathan, who at the time was our aggressive wild child, you know, 
trying to grab it. Like that was his posture toward him, right? Just going after it. And you can imagine how Trey responded. Jonathan, you idiot! You know, (laughs) whatever a three-year-old does. Now in this illustration, you are the crab. You are the crab. Who do you think God is like? Trey or Jonathan? Is God looking at you and does he have a posture of like, You sinful, messed up, as you really, you don't even know how crabby you are. What's his posture? Is it, or is it? Dane Ortland writes, We naturally think of Jesus touching us the way a little boy reaches out to touch a slug or a sand crab. For the first time, his face screwed up, cautiously extending an arm, giving a yelp of disgust upon contact and instantly withdrawing. We picture the risen Christ approaching us with a severe or a sour disposition. But in fact, Jesus does not cringe at reaching out and touching dirty sinners and numb to sufferers. Such embrace of them is what he loves to do. He cannot bear holding back. Knowing God is not through high achievement. It's through elementary trust. Through an exclusive means with a compassionate, lowly, humble Jesus who will show you the Father. All we have to do is come. Just come. Let's pray together. Father, show us your heart. Show us the heart of Jesus. We are drawn, some, we, we confess, we are drawn to want to show off for you, which really is just a means of being proud of ourselves, not grateful for you. We are we create images and ideas and in our mind about who. You really are, and we and we don't we reject anything that we can't about you that might be revealed to us. We reject that. Instead, we embrace things that we contrive in our own minds or are told from other parts of of the of culture, and we believe that instead. So we reject. Father, show us the heart of Jesus, which is lowly and gentle. Help us to know and understand who you really are. And then in response, do what you say, which is to come. Just to, just, just to come, go. <laughs> and be held and loved and nurtured and empowered and equipped and known by the God of the universe. This is our prayer. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.